Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody, uh, this is Samson Folk, and this is simultaneously the wrap-up, the live show after the game and the Raptors Reaction Podcast. So for those of you who typically listen to one or the other, I hope you enjoy the fact that they are now melded together. So our, we are here after the Raptors. Uh, eight wins in a row. That's a pretty big deal, uh, especially with guy like the Celtics and the Nets both. I think making trades that help them in the short term, and they're both chasing the Raptors for the sixth seed and the 76ers, I guess, probably making a trade that also helps them in the short term, um, bolstering their fifth or fourth, depending on where the Cavs are currently. Important games, important wins. Uh, what are your first thoughts after watching that game? You know, I thought this was going to be a trap game. You know, how many times have we seen the Raptors like come off like some good wins and lose to like, I don't know, some, some crap team at home? Right. And so this was set up to be perfectly that. But for whatever reason, I was watch- as I was watching the first quarter and-, and Houston built up that lead, you never got the sense that Houston's offense is sustainable to any degree over a prolonged period of time. You know, they, they got some really athletic, exciting players there capable of making runs. But defensively, they're just so porous that even when the Raptors were down like t- eight or 10 or whatever it was, you never really felt that they were going to sustain this. So it was a very stress-free game uh, for me. And uh, I think the only point of stress for me happened when uh, Siakam uh, picked up his uh, fifth foul on on a basically he just closed out too hard. And I think, um, I don't know, the guard kind of ran by him and he picked up his fifth foul. I think it was the late third and it was like an eight to 10 point game at the time. And I was like, oh, I don't know. This might be, something could happen here if if we kind of go cold. But Gary and Boucher kind of carried us through. So uh, it, it was good to see that. It was good to see the bench play a little bit more. Now Flynn gets some minutes. Banton gets some minutes. So guys you don't really see too often. Uh, so I think that was, the, that was the nice part about this game is that you got to see people for extended periods who you don't usually see on a regular basis. Did you have a favorite in particular? I guess Banton had like a, a good game. He had that really nice floater going to the left, but pushing with the right. And then Sengun, he just shook him out of his his socks, his yeah. shoes, whichever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, off the bench, guys, yeah, I think Banton definitely. Uh, I mean, Boucher, obviously. I think Boucher's been a consistent. He, he's to the point where when he has a good game now, it doesn't really surprise you. You expect that of him. And credit to him for elevating expectations to that level where even when he has a, you know, a great game like he did today, um, you know, you, you don't even notice it, but Banton, I think uh, it was, it was, it was nice to see Banton and Flynn play together. Cause those two have been sort of on uh, it's an either or situation usually with them handling the ball. So uh, I, I thought Banton was good. Um, look for his three a little bit more than probably he should, but you know, he's got to get better. So he's got to shoot some. Uh, I like the fact that he, drove a little bit more in, in a more confident manner. And Alvin made a good point is that 
his size, even though it sometimes looks awkward when he's bringing the ball up the court or it's a little, the, the dribble's a little high, when he gathers and he's driving, at that point, his shot becomes impossible to block and he uses the window fairly well. So that, that, that was nice for me. How about, how about you? Yeah, I think just from, I don't know, the narrative standpoint, Malachi is probably the biggest one because we 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 might have expected since Fred was injured to see Malachi minutes and a, a decent stretch. The last time this happened was the game against Charlotte where once again, Fred was gone. Gary and Pascal handled the bulk of the offensive load and Malachi kind of slid in and gave you a little bit of points, a few assists and all that kind of stuff. So um, we might have seen this coming, especially with the Rockets being a maybe even not even subpar, just like a, a brutal team. But I think it's there are a couple like those stiff arm shivers to get into space. He doesn't hurt you defensively, which is not typical for a young guard. That's typically, you know, maybe they'll give you some offensive pop. But most of the time you're wondering, like, is this guy going to get killed when he's trying to defend in screens and in space? But Malachi, typically you don't have to worry about that. So. Anytime he's able to give you just a little bit of stuff on offense, I think that's the best um, you could hope for for him. But I guess we should probably talk about Gary Trent Jr. Um, 40 plus, just like uh, a return to form, I guess. He had so many games in a row with 30, 30 plus points and now 40 plus. He and Pascal almost not ever doing it at the same time, but just taking turns, obliterating the Rockets. Um, you mentioned at the top of the podcast that we're looking at a team in the Rockets who are capturing like fire offensively every once in a while, but there wasn't much of a consistent aspect to it. And the Raptors looked like they could just go and get whatever offense they wanted. And Gary Trent Jr. obviously is part and parcel of that. So uh, your thoughts on him? I know you love Gary Trent Jr. So this is like an opportunity to wax poetic. Yeah, no, I, you know, you know, I, I, I've, I've loved Gary for, so since we acquired him from Norm uh, at the time and, and I love Norm too. Um, it's it's just nice to have a guy who can just create his own shot and doesn't necessarily need the offense behind him to do that. And I know that I know that sounds very like um, non basketball-y, Like I, I, I like a guy who goes one on one a lot. But in a game like this, when Pascal's got his fifth foul and you need offense and you got you got a bench which isn't hasn't really been producing all season long, you need somebody you can just go to and he can just create something out of nothing. And that's a luxury that 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 um that i think is quite nice and what i like about gary also is that it's not like you're sacrificing some other part of the game when he's when he's kind of going in he's he's looking for his own shot he still sort of operates within the team bounds or the team context so it's not like lou will if you if you remember when lou will or mike james or these scorers that used to go off they used to completely the game became about them with Gary, it's different. Even though he's scoring, the game isn't really about him. He's still operating within the confines of the uh, of the offense, more or less. And as you as you saw today, his his the biggest criticism against him has been that he does not necessarily uh, you know get to the free throw line much. And I don't think he got to the free throw line much today either. Like, what did he get here? Um, like, it's not, uh, six for seven, so pretty good for him. So I don't know if you've noticed that he's been driving a lot more. A, a, a lot more hesitation moves to the rim, look, looking to cut across the high screen, going all the way. Have you noticed a more um, a desire to go to the rim more and not just not just look for the perimeter and the mid range jumper? Yeah, this is there's definitely a little bit 
of just him looking to do that more often. I think I looked at cleaning the glass today and he's, they have him ranked as a wing and I think he's the eighth percentile as far as rim frequency. So he's not getting there a lot. And even today with the seven free throws, I think three of those came off of a three pointer, but two trips to the line off of drives to the rim is a big deal for Gary. The free throw rate is low and the driving to the rim is low. He just so happens to be one of the five best shooters in the NBA probably this season when you couple together percentage and shot quality, shot difficulty and stuff like that. But over the past however many games, he's been able to turn the corner a little bit more often. I think there's a collinearity there that really helps with the three-point shooting. You saw this with Victor Oladipo, Kyle Lowry, many players. As soon as the pull-up three started popping off, the rim percentage goes up, um, both in, in frequency and in percentage. It's what kind of closeout you can dictate from the defense. And he's certainly been getting harder closeouts, and he's been less willing to kind of just settle into that one step, step back. Um, well, his step back jumper that he goes to a bunch of the time. Pascal hit the same shot over Christian Wood and garnered a damn from whoever on the court and made the broadcast, which was fun. Yeah. But yeah, he, he's definitely been turning the corner more often. Jalen Green is a very slight fellow, but it was nice to see that when Jalen was guarding him in isolation, Gary just went straight to the bucket, shoulder into the chest, went up, finished. And not only that, but he's also been able to boost his room frequency these past few games with better passing lane defense. And that had been something that I think was waning for a little bit of time, but he's just been a hawk in the passing lanes. And without giving up too much, in the, there's always a risk-reward aspect of you know, jumping passing lanes and OG is fantastic at riding that line. Gary has been super good lately and he's been kind of boosting his, his rim frequency numbers with getting out in transition. I mean, I think he's had five dunks over the past three games. It's so there's a little bit in the half court. Yes, because guys are really eager to get out after a shot. And then there's even more so in transition. So it's been awesome. And not to mention just the shooting. It's a masterclass. Sorry. It's a, it's a masterclass and it has been for, I guess, I don't know, a very long stretch at this point. It's, it doesn't perfectly dovetail with Pascal's run, but it came in in the middle and it's still going. He's been awesome to watch. Uh, and he was he he had a battle going on uh, in this game with uh, Kevin Porter uh, for, for long stretches. Those two were going at it uh, at each other. Like and and I, I guess the Houston arena is so quiet and empty that you picked up a lot of the back and forth between the two. Uh, and even in the close-ups, you saw that you know the, the they were they, they were going after each other hard, and it, it's just nice to have a guy on your team who 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 when he sees those situations looks at it as a challenge to like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna dominate you like I will I will accept this challenge and I will beat you at it and I will r r raise my teammates as well. You also notice when Pascal like picked up his sixth foul. Gary was the first guy to come over and like give him up because don't worry, I got this. Go to the bench. I, I thought that was a bit of a passing of the torch within this game uh, that happened because Gary kind of wanted to like kind of wanted to be the man. And as Pascal fouled out, he saw that as an opportunity to kind of cement his uh, his mark on the game. So I I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I, I mean, as much as as much as one can enjoy a beating over the Houston Rockets, this this was one to one to enjoy. I guess. Um... You love a dog, I guess, on the court, right? And Gary Trent is giving you some of that that dog um, mentality. Totally. But the, the next guy we have to talk about is the the yin to Gary's yang, where Gary, obviously, there's a little bit more rim volume in this game, but 
he's he's killing teams with the jump shot. And then we talk about Pascal Siakam, who is just obliterating teams by getting to the rim. And I, I made that video for the Raptors Republic YouTube channel where, you know, you can see he's beaten Bam Adebayo, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jimmy Butler, Miles Bridges, a slew of talented defenders, really impressive defenders as far as like foot speed or as far as rim protection and all that kind of stuff. And nobody's been able to stop him from getting to the rim so much so that he's getting doubled nearly top five in the NBA. And even then it doesn't matter. He's posing a problem that defenses can't solve right now. And especially not the Houston one. I I wonder what you think about his game tonight. It's just more of the same. And you know, any, any critique that anybody had of Pascal Siakam over the last, I don't know, three, four months, uh, you know, it started the season. There was a lot, there were a lot of critics of the guy. Um, you know, he has answered them, all of them one by one, and then some. And if you look across the board, whether it be efficiency, so the number one knock on him was that poor shot selection. That was one of one, one of people who were who were Pascal critiques were like, he takes poor shots. I think he has actually addressed that to a large degree. You cannot, I, I it's hard for me to find Pascal taking, or it's hard for me to f- comment when watching the game and think to myself, ah, that's a, that's not a good shot. Like I, I can see sometimes Fred might take a, 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 a lower quality shot, but with Pascal, I just don't, I just don't think he takes low percentage shots when he does takes, when he, when he does take contested shots, it's usually tail end of the shot clock and everybody kind of, I, th- I think you, 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 you talked about this uh, about a couple of months back, how, how, uh, People tend to dump the ball to Pascal with like five seconds left on the clock and and say, do something. Because at the end of the day, he's the only guy other than Gary, maybe, who can create something out of absolutely nothing because he's got strength, quickness, length to do all that. Even in those situations, when he's getting dumped the ball with limited amount of clock and he's got to do something, even in those situations where you would normally expect a player to take a low quality shot, he's taking good quality shots. So... That, to me, is the biggest difference in Pascal Siakam, and a lot of it flows from there. Now that defenses know that you cannot seduce him into taking shots that the defense wants you to take, what's happening is that he's not letting the defense off the hook. He's not He's not taking the shot they want him to take. He'll pull back. He'll drive. He'll pass. He'll, like, respot to a different location, try something else. But what he won't do is he will not give, give the defense an opportunity for an easy rebound. So I think... We can talk about Pascal Siakam all of his game, but I think it stems from the fact that he has tightened up shots that he that he would normally take, and I think that's kind of flowing into the other stats. Yeah, and also I, I forgot to address that when you brought up how low maintenance Gary has been, even with high volume, and you you know you kind of brought it full circle when you're saying Gary could be a guy who at the end of the shot clock plugs in. Gary deserves a lot of credit for just taking scraps sometimes really taking scraps in the Raptors offense and making them into these really high, high value possessions because of his shooting talent, first of all. But then Pascal is anybody who's played basketball. If you've defended a guy who you were uncomfortable with, who you thought you didn't have a good read on, if they were backing you down or doing anything of that sort, you would find that they'd get deeper than you'd like. And it was that unfamiliarity with that game or the inability to stop them. And Pascal Siakam, a lot of the shots that used to be 19-footers, 18-footers are 14 or 13 now. The fader is closer. 
and he's much better at negotiating and navigating the middle of these defenses. And I think it correctly took him a while to figure that out. Now, you don't have to be fully intimate with um, catch-all statistics or tracking data to appeal to them, but you can find some that, as far as the spacing percentile, Pascal deals with very little spacing the league over. Like I think he was the, had the sixth worst spacing among stars with how he had to deal with. He gets a lot of attention. Defenses really collapse on him, again, with the doubling numbers. And that's very tough because guys are constantly reaching in, dig downs, stunting, just trying to keep you off kilter. And I think during this run as a playmaker, as a scorer, you see that he looks past the dig downs because he has control of the ball. He's not affected by stunts. And he's hardly ever affected. Uh, Lewis actually asked him about this in a presser about looking to the second level of defense. And that's what Pascal has talked about quite a few times is that he doesn't really evaluate his own defender because for whatever reason, that guy hasn't been able to stop him almost in any capacity, whether it's high level defender like Jay Sean Tate tonight. Jay Sean Tate is a really good defender. So is David Nwaba. Now they're on the Rockets, but. These guys are still standout isolation defenders, and they had nothing for Pascal. He presents a very unique problem, and he's gotten so comfortable at navigating that I just, it's kind of a, it's really fun to watch him work in this way because he's so clinical relative to his former self. The second team All-NBA player was still somewhat an agent of chaos. He was working within the framework of the Kyle Lowry Raptors offense. But now, as we see another game without Fred, and especially during the stretch, Fred kind of fading a little bit more off ball, becoming more of a, a relocation or off ball shooter in, in some respects in the offense. Pascal has dominated this offense and it's never looked better than it does now. He's just been immense. You know, it's I think we're all even this comment that that I've highlighted here, yeah, two moves ahead and executing them. This is another way of saying kind of what we are saying is that. Uh, he, he does not make up his mind on what he's going to do uh, early. He, he, I think he trusts his own game to make decisions late. Uh, it, you know, so sometimes like as, as a player, you, you, you kind of have an idea on what you want to do and you, 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 you kind of put blinders on and you go about and try to do it no matter what the defense, how the defense has shifted or what different look you're doing. Or, or basically you, you, you do what you are, what you have planned to do. Now I think, he trusts himself to not make those decisions early on and trusts himself to invite the defense, see what's going on. And, and really, again, the word trust comes to mind is that he trusts that when the defense comes, he's able to make the skip skip pass to the other side or he's able to make a bounce pass underneath to Boucher. I, I think it, it also comes down to like trusting his teammates more. Uh, a, a guy like Boucher provides a very, very nice release valve for Pascal more often than not, because I think Sahal and I was go were going back and forth on, on the wrap up squad Slack channel. And we were saying like B B Boucher is, you know, well, Sahal's critique of Boucher was that he's not, he does not have a great feel for the game. And I, and I really disagreed with it because I think Boucher, he sometimes early in the season, he got a little lazy. And when he got lazy, he looked really dumb out there. Like I remember this one play where he stopped like going back and then he, somebody like, took the ball and dunked and he looked really bad. But since then, I think Boucher's positioning without the ball is, is opening up the game for Pascal's passing. And I, I think Boucher has recognized that Pascal is able to make those 
passes in tight corners and it's motivating him and others to actually move without the ball more. So Pascal, we know we talk about like, you know, Michael Jordan was always like, you know, what was credited as the guy who makes other people better. You can get your own points like Gary Trent Jr., you know, no knock on Gary. You can get your own points. But when you elevate your game to the point where you're making scrubs look good, that's when you know like you've 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 elevated yourself to the next level. And Pascal is really doing that right now. Well, yeah. So Hall and, and Chris have beef. So like that that's yeah. an important part of the, the context. But I yeah, I would say I agree with you completely. Chris Boucher is the most intuitive cutter off of Pascal Siakam on the Raptors. Um, there's something special about a big man who knows how to mirror a ball handler. DeAndre Ayton is really good at this in Phoenix, for example, because Devin Booker and Chris Paul both snake a lot of pick and rolls. And, you know, Phoenix runs a lot of Spain pick and rolls, which is putting another another person in the pick and roll to back screen for the big. And DeAndre Ayton is taking all these really strange routes to the rim and constantly trying to mirror these herky-jerky guards like Booker and Chris Paul. And there is a similar facet to Boucher's game about trying to always mirror a passing lane and stretch it as far as you possibly can, whether it's width or vertically, catching a lob or getting to a bounce pass. He does a really good job of finding Pascal's drives and mirroring it on the opposite side according to how the defense plays it. He deserves a ton of credit for that. And he's in the best defensive stretch of his career as well. So Chris Boucher, despite getting less run in the pick and roll than last year, which was everything for his offense, and uh, just not hitting as many threes as he did last year, he's rediscovered these new aspects of his game. And he's just done a fantastic job doing it. But yeah, Pascal, obviously as the engine for what the Raptors want to do has just been awesome. I, I saw somebody bring up OG Ananobi and his defense. Uh, did anything stand out to you? I know it's tough in like a game that was kind of as it was a lull to this game. Definitely. Yeah. It was like, I don't know. It, there was, it just, there wasn't a lot going on defensively. The Raptors had very long stretches where they didn't care that much, but OG maybe lately the stretch of defense has been pretty good. He, he's been pretty good. I think today I caught him napping at least a few times. I, I think he stepped up his game in the, after the, 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 in the third quarter for sure. I think he, he stepped up, but in the first half, he, 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 I think he missed, missed at least two or three box outs uh, on guys. He just was not expecting to cut to the rim. I forget the, the name right now. So, uh, but, but you know, when OG's into the game, when he is hunting offensive rebounds, when he's sneaking in for offensive rebounds, and getting them and like faking two guys and then going up to get him foul, you know he's in the game. Uh, I was I wasn't paying too much attention to OG to be honest with you. Um, so I, I don't have too much to say about him except the fact that I like the fact that when he got his offensive rebound, I think it was Siakam who fed it to him for the three. I love that for whatever reason. Playing a lot of pickup basketball, when you get the offensive rebound, I think you deserve a shot, especially when it's a contested offensive rebound. Go back and take that three. It doesn't matter. It's 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 found money. Go do it. So, I mean, I don't have much to say about, uh, about OG, um, uh, but I, I guess l- l- let me let me let me ask you this. I mean, today today was the you want to talk about trade deadline a little bit or you want to. What, yeah, what I game? I uh, I won't be doing like trade deadline talk until I guess the podcast will come out Monday. So, yeah, we could do it now. Um, well, on this game, who, who have we not given credit to that I think we should talk about? Uh, who, who have we? Okay, um, I'll do a quick rundown. Like, okay. OG still at this point um, for the Raptors is the highest usage, 
highest points scored and highest assists created out of post-ups. We saw a little bit of that tonight. And even though it's clunky, I think he's still a plus passer for his position. I, now, it's like just on the plus side of it. It's it's not much above average, but I think that tonight you could see little glimpses of it. And Scotty Barnes, this isn't that positive, but it doesn't have to be positive for him all the time. He's a rookie trying to understand the NBA. And I find that the Raptors more than more often than not lately, um, when he's on ball, if he's not in the post, he's trying to initiate above the break. And teams are really shading him for the drive now instead of trying to shade towards the dribble handoff actions that fueled a lot of his, I would say, advantages created for him in the first half of the season, I guess, or maybe the first three quarters up to this point. And he's been really uncomfortable with addressing the uh, second level of defense. We talked about how Pascal is constantly manipulating and kind of toying with where help side defenders are and knowing when to attack based on where they are, knowing he can get past his first guy. And Scotty, to his credit, is such a damn good isolation score at this point in his career already. And he's a very intuitive cutter. He's had huge games defensively, but he still struggles at trying to address what the defense is doing to him when he has more than one set of eyes fixated on him. And tonight, I think that the struggles he had was just something to that effect. And I think that's like, that's just part and parcel of being a rookie and understanding new defensive looks that teams are throwing at you. And so if anybody was worried, which many people probably weren't, but don't be that worried. This is stuff that he'll, you know, get used to and start to address in his game. And he'll learn how to dissect this stuff. And playing with Pascal actually gives him a great blueprint, especially since they're similarly sized and they both get to the rim and finish well. Yeah, I I highlighted this comment because this reminded me of the most enjoyable stretch of the game, which I can't believe I did not actually bring up. It was the, the full court press that Nick Nurse deployed in the second quarter, I think it was, which completely confused the young Houston team. They did not know how to handle it in the slightest. And, you know, that's why they're a, that, that's why they're a team that's like the worst team in the East that, or in the league. Uh, they, ju- they just had no idea how to inbound the basketball uh, in, in, with two guys pressuring the, the baseline. And I think they had to call like two timeouts just to get themselves recalibrated and back into the game and, and i'm surprised uh, if if this game had gotten any closer than it was which was late third it got to around like 10 maybe or something like that you knew that that weapon in the in the in nick nurse's back pocket would would yield results again very good coaching by, by nick nurse recognizing the fact that this is a young team who probably hasn't seen traps like these before and uh, I don't know, I, what did you think of that, like, two-minute stretch where I was like, wow, he's, he's he's really going for it. He's going for the kill in the second quarter. Well, I don't know if Lewis is still in and watching, but um, Esfandiar Barahaney, who works for the score and used to be part of Raptors Republic, when we were playing basketball in Toronto, S's leg was kind of, like, uh, lingering. And um, there was one possession of our pickup game where Lewis just hounded the hell out of him on ball. And everybody laughed at how like ridiculous it looked and S gave the ball up and everything. And that's what the, the, the full court press reminded me of is just like the complete inability to move out of the zone that you're trapped in. And then even to that point, you know, Fred Van Vliet is just an incredible pressure defender. But when the Raptors go for those funky long lineups, uh, you can really tell, especially in the full court press, when those hands get up there and they start... It's always sneaky, but you start applying that pressure right on the hip. 
So these guys start moving farther and farther out of their center of gravity, which makes their passes weaker. It makes so they can't fling it as hard off the top. They don't have as much burst to pass over the top. And it's just like this slow closing. It's like Star Wars, you know, A New Hope. And, and it, there's like this feeling of helplessness. And the Rockets were really bad at bringing help down from the front court. They just didn't yeah. do it. It's yeah. like Christian Wood is standing like under the rim like, damn, these guys are getting their ass beat. That's too yeah. bad for them, which is kind of hilarious. It, Yeah, it was really funny. You know, it's like when you cross the half court line, even when you play basketball, sometimes you look back and you're like, you see a bit of a trap. You're like, you got this, right? I mean, do I really have to come back? Like, you got it, right? Right, yeah. right. And you don't got it. And you don't got it for like three possessions in a row. And you have to call <laughs> out. So I, I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty entertaining and funny at the same time. Mm-hmm. Trade deadline stuff, though, I guess. Uh, first, Thaddeus Young. Are you are you like a long-standing Thad Young fan, Thadjik Johnson, oh, as he's known? This 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 is a circa 2015 move. Uh, I, I I'm I'm pretty sure in the archives of Rappers Republic, at least three or four writers have called for Thad Young at different points uh, of time when he was with the Nets or whoever the hell he was with. Uh, now it just seems very underwhelming, honestly. The the only thing that does not make this uh, deadline underwhelming is the fact that I don't see too many other players going to teams where I'm like, oh, the Raptors could have gotten in on that. Uh, the wrap-up guys earlier, um, you know, they talked about maybe DiVincenzo, uh, that that was a guy maybe if he was available, the Raps could have picked him up. Um, but other than that, I, I don't, you know, a, a lot of the guys like, um, uh, like our favorite guy from uh, Sacramento, what the hell's his name? I'm forgetting his name. Rashawn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Holmes, right? Uh, he, he, he stayed put. Um, you know, uh, Jakob Pertl stayed put. So if those guys had moved and the Raptors wouldn't have gotten in on the action, then I would have felt a little worse. But uh, as it stands, I I, I thought this was a bit of a missed opportunity, to be honest with you. Uh, I I thought this team is quite good. Uh, We definitely needed some help if we wanted to maybe make a, a run, maybe pass the first round or something like that. We were not able to do it, um, so very disappointing. Uh, I thought the, dra- the 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 contract that Dragic had would get us something, and at the end of the day, we just moved ten picks down to shed his salary. Uh, yeah, we saved some money, but as a fan who cares about money, I'm sure there's some half decent salary cap implications of this down the road. But I don't could could not care less about that at this moment. So I don't know. I I, I thought it was a missed opportunity, um, but again, not knowing what. What what how other teams valued um, Dragic, you know, it's hard to say. But when you look at some of the other trades, you look at what Norman Powell got valued at. Uh, you're like, if that's Norm's value, then Dragic's value must be much much lower. So if you frame it within that context, it makes a little bit more sense. But overall, I just feel we we, we sort of misfired. How about you? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's fair to say. It's like you look at guys like C.J. McCollum or Norm. Um, who get traded for relative to what you think their standing would be in the league, peanuts. Mike Prada, who actually I think we'll have on the podcast this month, he he mentioned that just because of the pandemic and how it's affected owners, that we could see more cost-cutting type deals than maybe ever before in the NBA, especially since NBA, like how franchises are evaluated, like how how valuable they are. We've seen that they've risen up and there's been less worry about like how much money is being spent. It's not like baseball where there's constantly fans hand wringing about like spend the damn money. But 
I, I do think that that might have been, you know, something that the Raptors were looking at. Who's to say really? But so right after they traded for Thad, I was like, okay, what is the standout aspect of Thad's game? And, and I'll have a piece on Raptors Republic about this, diving into it more tomorrow. It's his passing. Um, the Thadjik Johnson nickname comes from him kind of being like a late playmaking bloomer, as many journeyman bigs actually are. You see so many permutations of defense over your career and you get slower as you age that like there's going to be a team that lets you be a post hub for a five game stretch. And sometimes you just pop off. And that happened to Thaddeus Young. So I watched all 59 of his assists and I kind of logged and tracked them. So 25 of them were on handoffs or pitch plays. Uh, 17 were on high low from face up, like post up into a face up or a live dribble pass to a back cut. Two were as his own buster. Seven were passes out of post-ups with his back to the basket. Four were off the short roll. And four were in transition. And so with Thad, I think the interesting thing is that when you watch all of his highlights as a playmaker, you realize that there's a lot of overlap in how he operates offensively with one Scotty Barnes. And Scotty Barnes's possessions have already been cannibalized by Pascal taking off to be this all NBA level player. And Fred is still, you know, Fred is an all-star. Gary is obviously, he's scoring like what, like 27 a game over however many games, right? And OG, Nick Nurse has openly said he worries about not getting OG enough touches. And so I think that's really interesting is to see how often they use that. Will they use him in those anti-guard lineups and kind of try and supplement some of the playmaking there? And does that mean that a player that we saw perform really well tonight in Banton or perform well in other games like Champagny or Utah, that those guys are the ones who are going to lose minutes to Thad Young? And and there's also, just because of how quick a decision maker Thad is, there's some dribble handoff stuff, some synergy that I would expect with both Gary and um, and Fred because they shoot really well. And, and Thad is so good at the, the handoff, extend the butt out, create extra space, pass, get it back, reroute, pass. Like He's a very quick decision maker, as I said. And so I'm very interested to see how the Raptors decide to utilize him because in San Antonio, a lot of it was just running Bryn Forbes and Doug McDermott off of him and running split action um, on the same side of the floor as him and letting him make plays above the break. But the Raptors have really bad spacing. And especially if you have a shooter on that side of the floor, I like you can almost guarantee that the defense will be plugging the paint on the other side. So a lot of those high-low feeds and back cuts that were available to him in San Antonio were handoffs to these rapid three-point shooters like Bryn Forbes and Doug McDermott, these guys who live to shoot off of handoffs. Those are completely gone. So he's in a completely different playmaking context, and he clearly has the talent for it, but he's going to have to figure something out if I had to guess. So it's going to be a pretty novel situation for Thad. So I I really don't know how it'll look, but he clearly has a lot of talent and he's a, he's a vet, you know, as Bobby Webster said in the, in the press conference, like they value his uh, adaptability defensively, quick hands, still pretty quick feet for his age. And he's strong. Um, I think they view him as somebody who can plug right into those switchable lineups. And if Chris Boucher, can make it work in these lineups and have his best defensive stretch of his career. Uh, Thaddeus Young hopefully should be able to in, in a similar respect, I guess. Yeah. And, and I'll, and I'll respond to the, the, the part about taking other people's minutes. 
I have I have no problem with uh, Thad Young taking some minutes away from Precious Achua. Even even in today's game, you saw that Precious does get caught in in the deer in the headlights look. You know, at least a couple times a game. And if we if we reduce his minutes and give give more to Thad, and he's able to integrate better with some of the guys there, that's not necessarily an indictment on on Precious. Precious is in year two. Like it's okay for Precious to fight for his minutes and not just be handed to him. Because at the end of the day, this is a good team. And on good teams, you're supposed to earn your minutes. This is not a, we're not running the Salvation Army here where you're just giving away minutes to people. I mean, you you got to earn them. And Precious, like he, he's done well defensively. He's done quite, quite well. But you saw today how there are on offense, there are moments where he sort of, the, the whole offense kind of comes to a grinding halt when he has the ball at the three-point line. And even even the other even the other team is like, well, what's, what's he going to do with the ball right now? Right. So I think I don't think we should fear that uh, Thad coming in is going to take away minutes from Scotty. Uh, I think it's good if he reduces Pascal's minutes by by three or four a game. That'd be that'd be a welcome thing. So I I think it's a nice fit from that end. Uh, When I said it's underwhelming is that this is I, I don't know if this move puts us if this is the difference between winning and not winning a playoff round. That's that's the underwhelming part of me, and and I expected a move at this deadline, which would sort of bump us up a little bit. And and and, p- and people will always say that, oh well, the Raptors have a plan of rebuilding, and we're on we're on course with that plan. And today and this year was a bridge year. Hundred percent agree with that. I just feel that we are better than even I think what management thought we might be. So I thought they might strike while the iron is hot and try and try to accelerate things a little bit. They chose to stand pat for for reasons that they know best. So that's the part that I'm a little disappointed with. But I am looking looking forward to Thad Young. Uh, Thad Young has been rumored to come to Toronto. I'm not. I, was, I wasn't exaggerating earlier. For about seven to eight years. If, you, if you're a longtime Raptor fan, you have heard those rumors over and over again. So finally, we get to see it. Like this is this. Who who was that? The forward for the Denver Nuggets who also used to Kenneth be rumored. Fareed. Every- Kenneth Fareed, yes. Kenneth Fareed and Thad Young were perennial summertime rumors to Toronto. And I'm glad one of them actually happened. Well, it's also for Raptors Republic readers or listeners or whatever. um, You're going to see more coverage in archetypes, especially however many years ago, that Blake Murphy appreciates. And now you can see that there's like maybe a little bit more coverage on the podcast, especially of players that I appreciate, which is why there's like such a bubbling up of everyone being like, why the hell does everybody want Rashawn Holmes there is because there's like a few people in the Toronto market that have just really liked him, even from the the process Philadelphia days who are just like banging that drum like he's so good. He makes hardly any money. Please, for the love of God, put him on this team. So that's that's kind of funny. But yeah, Thad, uh, he had a lot of attention last year and he was one of the guys who at the trade deadline Quite, there was lots of rumors about quite a few different teams maybe getting him or whatever that looked like. And there was no rumors about him this year, which is very Raptors-esque, obviously. It's like all the rumors were about Taylor Horton Tucker or Yaka Pertl or, you know, however many other players. And it's the guy who had no buzz whatsoever that the Raptors end up grabbing. And yeah, I, I do think I feel the same way as you is that there is, I don't see a version of events where Thaddeus Young tips the Raptors over whoever they're playing in the first round or however far they're getting. I think that he's going to add some eligibility to lineups that maybe wouldn't have worked otherwise during the regular season. And if if that's the case where they just 
they want to get these guys to the playoffs, yes, just for the experience. Maybe they're not thinking of a long playoff run, but they also want to get them there in one piece without sacrificing or, I don't know, selling too high on the future with draft picks or whatever. Um, I guess this is like saving Pascal from playing 43 minutes a game because I think since January 1st, I might be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure the five leaders in minutes per game, the NBA is Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, um, Gary Trent Jr., and then Scotty Barnes. I think they're the first five. And on the season, it goes Fred, Pascal, and OG. These guys are just run ragged. And they can say, you know, as many times as they want that, like, yeah, we're good. Uh, <laughs> we take these minutes and we take them in stride or whatever. But there's a toll. There's cumulative load. Um, you know, this is something that sports scientists have been digging into, and it doesn't always lead to something. Maybe not often, but sometimes it does. And I guess that does help with that. Even as you say, I, I definitely think it's underwhelming, but could it end up being a tidy piece of business, especially if the Raptors have like a really strong finish to this regular season and they gave up, let's say, the 24th pick for the 31st or the 32nd? then it doesn't hurt as bad. But then you think about the fact that the difference between like Tyrese Maxey and Malachi Flynn in the draft was about 10 spots. The difference between Jaden McDaniels, who would be so awesome on this Raptors team, and Malachi Flynn is about one spot. So it's, you never know with the draft. And if a guy emerges around draft season that the Raptors really like, they could end up kicking themselves if he goes at like 24 or like whatever. So there's always that kind of stuff, but that's... I guess, hindsight. Yeah. So let me, let me ask this question. Uh, no, I was not expecting a starter. I was expecting definitely a, uh, I, I know there was always a big man or a guard. I was, I was leading towards a big man because I, I, I thought it, it uh, our, our defensive rebounding is quite poor. I think we're 28th in the league. And uh, I don't, I don't know if that's sustainable. Uh, I don't know if you can win a playoff series with it. Again, I should, I should preface this by saying my goal was to win a playoff series. That That is the objective for me for the season. So with that in mind, I was expecting to, to, to beef up our, our front line a little bit. And if not, um, you know, I was maybe, maybe look at um, Bledsoe or somebody off the market to see a, a scoring guard that could help. Because uh, as we saw, Malachi Flynn had a good game today, but he's not necessarily reliable. Svi is completely out of the rotation. I don't even know what he's doing in practice. He must be like, he must be horrible in practice for not even going to sniff uh, in, in, in games. Utah, I, I cheer for the guy, but Jesus, man, that that three he took when he came into the game. But there were a lot of threes in this game that hit just backboard. Just pure backboard, no rim, not just Utah, but he had one too. So we definitely have a suspect bench, and that's what I, Stephen, I wanted to uh, address to some degree. That That's really all uh, what I wanted to say on, on that one. Yeah, yeah they, they have like this a Frankenstein bench, both in play style and outcome, because... They have the lowest defensive rating. They have the lowest offensive rating. They, they just don't score the ball whatsoever. This is the thing about Delano Banton. He had a good game tonight, and he's had okay games recently, but he is not represented on the stat sheet whatsoever because these guys are just out there to be a body on defense and then just please don't get in the way of the elevated offensive players. Like the, the very few touches... If he if Delano Benton gets a rebound, he he has the right to push it up and see if he finds something for himself or for somebody else. But a lot of times he's just pulling it back and then going to the weak side of the floor. Uh, this OG from Emmett Bramble, quote, 
OG does not deserve more touches than Gary. He needs to knock his threes down, win his post-ups, play D, and keep improving, end quote. Um, yeah, it depends on what you're trying to create. There, there have been a couple, you know, uh, I guess games during this stretch. The Raptors game against Milwaukee that Pascal hit that floater um, to close it out, the very close one with Giannis back. They ran a lot of empty side pick and roll with OG, and that was a really good way to add a little bit of rim pressure to the Bucks defense to make sure that he ca- there was somebody still getting downhill and he hit a roller a couple times. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., I know Dallas is trying to trade him, but he's been one of their most useful players in the postseason, like even more useful than Chris Dabbs Porzingis, and that's born out of him getting a lot of possessions as a guy to do more stuff when he was in New York. It looked horrible, the returns were horrible, but it meant that he was overall much more valuable as a role player because he was harder to scheme for. And I think with OG, yes, he gets the post-ups, but every once in a while you see something pop as far as a pick and roll possession or a dribble handoff possession, and you see him do something good with it. And this means that he won't be relegated to any type of just the three-point shooter, just the corner shooter in playoff um, in, in playoff rounds going forward. But as far as OG deserving more touches than Gary, I don't think anybody here said that tonight, but uh, Gary has been receiving more touches than OG in a lot of these games. So I don't think that's something that the Raptors are really, really focusing on making happen, but they certainly do provide different aspects of offense because OG is a, a better passer and he creates layups for some guys and layups are worth their weight in gold. And th- while, yeah, like, you know, Gary, his shooting has been just awesome and he deserves so much love for the way that he's been able to just plug in and shoot and create offense in in an instant og provides some things that gary doesn't and um you know the raptors aren't perfect they they have a funky offense they are so low in assist rate they're really low in pace they hunt mismatches and og i think we talked about gary being able to kind of plug in OG, sometimes the it can look kind of belabored trying to get him the ball in offense. But a lot of times he's doing the early work in transition and getting a hit ahead pass and creating a layup or something like that, or even being able to play make to one of Gary or Fred trailing the play after that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. They, they have a similar amount of touches, Gary more so lately. And uh, I'm happy that both of them get touches and the uh, the time and the patience to try things out because OG does do more things this year than he did last year. Like, you know, relative to his contemporaries, he uses his own dribble to get to the rim more often than most wings in the NBA. Now it looks clunky and you might say, really, is that, is that the way it is? But yeah, it doesn't look that good, but the utility, the functionality of what he's doing is still uh, effective enough to, I think, warrant some touches. Although Gary has way more polish, like a Gary possession that ends in a made shot looks good as hell. And I, I understand why somebody would be like more of that, especially when they're going in. I mean, he just had 42 points, right? Hell yeah. So, so, so I mean, uh, when, every time I hear the word deserve, there's only one thing that comes to mind. And if you've seen the wire, this is the scene that I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Deserving got nothing to do with it. It's just his time. That's all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I I think um, what uh, Emmett. I mean, I I don't know who deserves more touches, but I, as you as Samson said, it, it depends on what you are trying to do. If you are trying to diversify your offense and go deeper into the post and manufacture in in, in the half court, uh, I think after Siakam, 
OG is most likely our best post player. Agree, disagree on that one? I mean, you know, in some situations, he might even be better than Pascal. But generally speaking, he's he's a very solid post player. So, and he's also a post player that he's so strong, right? Can, can back his man down without fouling. People can back their man down and just end up fouling using the elbow. OG doesn't need to do that. He can actually basically maintain proper form while backing his man down, which invites double teams and, and it, it you know opens up things for everybody. And he can also hit threes, which he's doing at a good clip. So I, I don't think we should look at Gary. It's not a zero-sum game between OG and Gary. And I don't think we should be looking at it that way. We'll just be looking at who the opponent is, what's working in that game, and know that we have multiple options on on how, how to navigate defenses. That's how I would look at it. Gary today was great with, with no Pascal, no Fred. He was a perfect guy to step up. OG in 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 our little in the in the first five five uh, wins of our win streak, OG was instrumental in hitting threes and not just hitting threes, but also actually you know doing some sidesteps and creating his own threes. So it's not it, it's it's just it's it's not fair to either player to put to, to juxtapose them like this. Also, there's a there's a comment from Litmus that I have to address as well, and I am uniquely uh, equipped to address this because oh, this one Scott yeah. Um, because no. I actually watched everything Scotty has done. <laughs> and I got to tell you, the post-ups were mostly fruitless for him. Isolations are really good possession for Scotty, and he can turn those into post-ups or face-ups or whatever. But the flat post-ups have been largely unsuccessful so far this year. And I said this at the top of the podcast, but um, you can actually just go to NBA Advanced Stats, and they track post-ups. Um, OG scores the most out of post-ups. OG has the most assists out of post-ups and he has the most touches out of post-ups on the team. And that doesn't mean he's the best, but he's certainly, um, he's been effective. And Pascal is, I guess, more preoccupied with elbow touches and more pick and roll lately. Like, hell yeah, putting Pascal in the pick and roll. I love it. But yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting thing. It's like, it's it's that you expect players to be good at something and then they just aren't, and you feel betrayed. I, I felt the, and this is why I want to talk about it, Litmus. I felt the exact same way as you before I went and watched every single piece, like every single game, every possession. I was like, Scotty is a hell of a post player. And then I tracked it, and he was just not effective out of the post. It was, it was kind of interesting. And it's like, what do players look like? And what is the end result of their possessions? Oftentimes, they don't walk the same line. It's, it's a really interesting thing about basketball and the way and the way that these things work out and that's also you know a perfect example to use for og who is clunky as hell but makes a lot of things work but yeah zarar is absolutely right it's not a zero-sum game the raptors have been egalitarian enough as an offense to service a lot of different mouths that have been fed and have been progressing and all that kind of stuff so uh yeah it's just a bunch of guys attacking from a bunch of different spots on the floor that's that's what I think is great about this Raptors team. Scott, Scotty seems a little little too stiff in the post. I, I don't think he's you know it's almost like his, he's wearing like a straight jacket when he's in the post. Uh, you know now OG kind of kind of he his the, the curvature of his spine is important when you post somebody up. Scotty's almost vertical as he's posting somebody up, so it does not lend itself to pretty play. Uh, I'm sure it will come. Oh damn, man! Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Steve McInnes, for money. We love money. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks, dog. 
That's yeah. really nice. We weren't yeah. even asking for it. You just I know throw right? money that, at that, us. That's, that's, that's super, super, super cool of you. Very, 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 very thankful for it. And hey, we're so thankful that I'm even, I'm going to give you a solution to our big man problems since we did not address them. This man is playing in Spain right now. Samson, bring him back. <laughs> bring him back for for the rest of the season. You can't. You can't be that bad. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's the interesting thing, right? Is that Precious is both. This is the thing about DeAndre Ayton in the finals last year. Ayton was way farther along for the Suns than they originally expected, but he also probably represented the one spot on the roster that they might have been able to upgrade or do better than in like some sort of package. And Precious, will he looks like he's almost his all defense status when he's 25 or 26 seems almost like an inevitability. He's a really, really special defender, but the offensive decision-making is so bankrupt. It, it is so rare to see him do something right that the Raptors are trying to strike this balance of finding a guy who definitely isn't as good as precious defensively, probably, but also probably not as good as Boucher has been offensively. You're just looking for a guy to like strike the middle. And is Kim Birch that dude? Maybe not. Is, you know, the the, the lovable Spaniard, uh, Marcus All, the big paella, as uh, Katie Heindel and I refer to him as, uh, it remains to be seen, I suppose. Too, too, too many thoughts, too, too many thoughts jumping into my head. Uh, let, let me, Kim Birch and Precious, uh, Precious first is, uh, my theory on Precious is that he he looks at guys like Pascal Siakam and OG, and he really wants to be part of the core. And he wants to do the holy crap, man. Uh, Nolan Marshall, thank you. I'm just gonna be thanking people. I, I will <laughs> thank you, appreciate it. I'm not a YouTuber, so I don't know how to react to these things. All I can say is thank you for uh, for for the support, and and we we appreciate it. Uh, yeah, are, are we supposed to are we supposed to do something that's like emasculating for know. money? Is that know. how this works? I, I don't know. I gotta watch <laughs> YouTube videos to see how to do better YouTube. Uh, but precious, okay. So precious is somebody who I feel like looks at Pascal, looks at OG, looks at Barnes, and he's like, man, I want to be part of this this core. Like, I don't want to lose this opportunity. It's like the Eminem song is playing in his head. You know what I mean? And he's like, how do I how do I be more like them? And he tries to be more like them literally, right? He literally tries to bring the ball up the court. He will literally try to make a pa- pass that Pascal has taken like two years to perfect. And it just doesn't, doesn't work out for him. And I'm pretty sure it will. He just needs to slow the hell down on offense. And I'd even say, goes. He should not be bringing the ball up the court because he thinks he's helping the team by by saving time or whatever by crossing the half court line. But he's not because as soon as he crosses it, he has to wait like three seconds for somebody to get open while he finds a pass that he's comfortable making to that person. So it's a net loss of time when he's bringing the ball up the court. So just just chill, Precious. Yeah, uh, it's... Kim Birch. Yeah, sorry. You were... Oh, yeah. Well, there's like Russell Westbrook during his MVP season, like the stat padding stuff was always been prevalent about Westbrook and how Steven Adams will box out so that he gets the rebound rather than Steve himself. But their offensive rating when Russ got the ball instead of anybody else, like went way up because he'd get the ball up the court fast. He could hunt for opportunities. And as you said, Precious is not doing that. Like he, he is looking dudes off, kind of malaising himself up the court 
and then looking dudes off again. It's it is almost like performance art, I think. But as far as touch, actually, something that as a positive for Precious, I, I already bumped up his defense, which he deserves love for. But um, he's using his shoulder more often. Like the way he's driving, he's getting lower and he's been on balance through the contact. He just has to be on balance through the finish. Like he, he's a really, really poor finisher despite his athletic gifts. So um, the possibility of him becoming maybe a plus defender or sorry, a plus finisher seems really far away, but it's only, you only need something to click in, in a small way. Oh yeah. Like these clips, these are the blocks, but the next clip down is actually so fascinating because you can see him like this is isolation with Luka Doncic and Luka just has to bail the hell out. There's isolation with Giannis Antetokounmpo where he's going to take this bump and stay square and block him. Do you know how hard it is to take bumps from Giannis and then block him? Giannis's whole bag is dislodging dudes and then getting free and dunking over the second guy who comes over. And like this one, he steps out on these really impressive players and Andre Drummond, who's so strong, tries to go baseline and Precious is strong enough at the base to bounce him towards baseline and block him at the top. Like these plays are really special for defenders to make, especially at his size. So he deserves a lot of love for the the defense, but the offense, the decision-making is, I think it's really far away at this point, but he's young. So yeah, he, 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 he is. And also uh, just audience, we usually play clips, but we're, we're right now in the middle of a legal battle with YouTube on playing clips. But we are, we are about to sign a partnership with, with a, a legit NBA highlights company. So we'll get highlights back on the show. Hopefully, uh, hopefully soon. Uh, Ken Burge, the only question about Ken Burge is that, you know how some guys wear the mask and they get so comfortable with it that they never take it off. You think Ken Burge is one of those guys? No. That, well, he took it off mid-game the one time, didn't he? And then but he put, put it, it back, back on, on, though. He put it back on, though. It's, it's like Rip okay. Hamilton. R- Rip Hamilton did not need a mask for the last 10 years of his career. <laughs> I, maybe like mask Stockholm Syndrome is what you're saying. Yeah. Something to that effect. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, I, 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 I got I to gotta go soon, man. It's an hour. Oh, my God. We thought we'd keep it short, but get, getting to talking, conversation just flows. But but I but I am getting the cut eye from the uh, from the boss. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. No problem whatsoever. Okay. Uh, yeah. I guess I'll, I'll do the sign off. Um, live listeners. Uh, yeah. Thanks for tuning in with us. Thanks for giving us money. I don't do the live show, so that isn't something I'm familiar with. I'm usually just kicking back. And there's plenty of listeners for the Action Podcast. So like, thank you to everyone who listens over there. And I guess is listening now. But uh, you got to see Zarar and I react to getting money, which is a completely novel experience for the Raptors Reaction Podcast. So I, I hope you enjoyed that, you know, aspect of it. Uh, any any parting shots, Zarar? No, I mean, uh, I, I guess the season is set. Let's see what the buyout market holds. Um, let's see who's in it. Uh, I think the Raptors should kind of dip into it and see what, see, just, just, to, just to make the, just give, give the fans something, give, give us a nice spring. You know, spring is my favorite time in Toronto. Uh, nice weather. Uh, you know, everything's just playoff basketball is always good. The Leafs are doing okay. So spring is always a great time in the city and it would make it a lot better if we had a, a highly competitive basketball team playing in uh, May and maybe even late May. That would that would make a good end to the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, the, the pandemic ends when the championship comes back. Something to that that degree. <laughs> or maybe maybe something with more tempered expectations. 
uh, <laughs> would be a little better, but who's to say? Uh, yeah. Viewers, thanks for watching. Listeners, thanks for listening. I guess whether you got into this in the morning or at night for viewers at night, for listeners, maybe morning. Have a blessed day and goodbye. <laughs>